0: Welcome to The Dividing Line. We're going to be getting to some Zoom calls a little bit uh, later on, just a little, little bit, not too far down the road. So uh, Rich posted a how to get into the Zoom thing. I think there's even a video on it somewhere, I think. Anyway, um, so we're going to try to get to some Zoom calls. Uh, if you're interested in um, in jumping in, please try to make them calls that it could be um, useful to maybe more folks than just do you yourself um, or that someone could meaningfully respond to. Um, I'm just looking at, at a topic right now and, and it's like uh, it's, it's so specific that, that it would, it would require a tremendous amount of preparation to meaningfully comment on it. So um and there's no way for me to do that obviously so anyway uh a couple things first since it's in front of everybody right now uh on social media the video of the young woman in uh, england who has uh, violated these Draconian tyrannical nineteen eighty four all over again I guess you didn't actually read the book in school laws that have been passed in a number of countries where you are not allowed to say anything about abortion within a certain distance of a place they murder babies i mean it's it is the uh, the states um another way the state clearly sponsors um the murder of unborn children and so there's this woman and she's just standing there she's standing um off the road uh in some bushes basically totally silent and she's arrested um because she was specifically asked are you praying and she said, I might be praying in my head. She was not praying out loud. She's just standing there silently. And she's arrested for violation. And, 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 and the cop actually talks about, we need to protect people. And I, I, just, I just asked on Twitter, I said, what, what happened to the souls of these people? what is it like to be the servant of the state and to have to do the things that this guy is doing? I, I'm not saying I feel sorry for the guy because I don't. Um, but I am pointing out to him, who knows, maybe in God's providence, someone might point him to somebody who would say, do, do you realize, do, do you understand that there is a day of judgment coming? The the fundamental difference between Western culture today and Western culture only 70 years ago is 70 years ago, everybody knew judgment was coming, that there would be a day of judgment. And that reality has been – now it, it takes 12 years, 13 years of public school and university and the complicity of – Hollywood, and everything else to, and of course, the destruction of the nuclear family and everything that goes with that, uh, to silence that conscience that is a part of our created nature. It's taken a lot of work. It's been very purposeful, very purposeful, very intentional, and very successful, very successful. So you see this happening in Western culture, and you know what's coming um, for us. Um, There are places that want to do the exact same thing. We just have this um, thing called the Constitution that, though it's got numerous holes blown through it already, and we'll have more... um, unless God does something major in this nation as far as revival is concerned. These folks in the UK don't have that kind of thing. And so it is amazing to watch. It's sad uh, to even consider what's going on there and that you cannot stand within a certain distance of a place of the murder of unborn children and pray. Can you imagine the British people of the 19th century, 18th century, 17th century, if you told them that someday this is what would be going on, the the homosexuality, the profaning of marriage, the uh, grooming of children, the murder of unborn children, just the level of public indecency that is now just... I mean, I had a friend last night he and his church uh, did a protest outside of a, a drag queen story hour thing. And the, and the Antifa communists showed up and uh, uh, the, he, he just said, it was just astonishing the, the behavior, the language, the degradation, the human degradation That he, not only that they were there to protest, um, but that he saw uh, amongst the people that were there to defend this kind of behavior that I can certainly remember when nobody defended it, and it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. The speed is astonishing. So, um, I can now tell you, and I should have brought this up. Sorry. I was trying to get accordance to, um, put the right, uh, Bible translation where it needs to go. Um, I can now tell you some exciting stuff about February. Uh, oh, by the way, tonight I'm going to be with Andrew Rappaport on his, um, apologetics webcast, uh, starting, um, three hours from now, I believe it's supposed to be, uh, I hope, um, well, it's three o'clock here. us both starts, I think that was between six and eight. So, yeah, mine says six p.m. So, um, look up Andrew Rappaport's um, apologetics thing, and I may have to double check that. Just I hate the stupidity of daylight savings time. It is just stop it. Uh, it's just, it's just, stop it. Anyway, uh, I'm going to be on. Evidently, there's a skeptic that uh, called in when Jason Lyle was on. And so there's going to be some discussion along those lines of this evening. But our next big trip, what? Was I right? Oh, I thought you were looking up Andrew Rappaport's thing. Okay. Um, our next, my next big trip, which, you know, I realize is, does anyone else do what we're doing right now? I don't think so. No, no. As I, as I, as I think on everybody that, you know, I've spoken at large conferences with, um, yeah, no, they don't do this. No. No.
1: As usual, we're out here all by ourselves doing what we do and
0: Well, you know, once once you have to have the right drugs in your body to be able to fly. I'm I imagine, I'm imagining I'm imagining a number of people would be contacting us. So, how do you do this again? <laughs> Which end of the sewer hose goes where? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> okay. Um Anyway, we we uh we do our road trips and uh, I do road trips. And Like I said, the last time I was on a road trip, someone expressed sincere disappointment. that rich was not with me, and I explained to him that if Rich and I tried to stay in the same RV, uh, the result would be the end of Alpha New England Ministries and probably one of the two of us because we're both armed. <laughs> so anyway, um, we uh we will we'll be headed. Uh, well, you can all. I can only go one direction. Um, I ain't man, the more uh, California, there is uh, that law they passed where you can now you lose your medical license. I think it goes into effect in just a few weeks. Lose your medical license in California for going against the narrative. So if, if you said in 2021, the stuff that is now being proven by study after study, after study, after study about the, uh, dangers of certain medical activities, um, you can lose your, your, your license. I, I, California is a, is a communist state run by a mono party. And I have no interest in going there. There are some fine, wonderful Christian people there, but I also happen to know a lot of fine, wonderful Christian people that are fleeing there. Um, so yeah, um, I can't go west, so I uh, I go east. I'm looking like um, I think I'm going to try to work out uh, the summer trip where I normally go up to Colorado. I'm going to try to go up the middle of the country, all the way to North Dakota. Um, when it's not as cold as it is now, those of you. Uh, that are experiencing 40, 50, 60 degrees below zero wind chills. Um, yeah, um, not coming to that time of year. <laughs> my, the walls on my RV are not that thick. Uh, they're really, it's got a good heater in it, but no, no, not, not doing that right now. Feel sorry for all of you. It's uh, 65 or so, 66 here today, something along those lines. Uh, and Rich is cold. Oh, and he turned on the heater on my end of the office. I, and it was he turned it, The funny over thing here. is, he turned it off before I got here. But what he forgot was it hadn't been on since last year. And what happens when you run the heater for the first time? It smells, and so I can walk in and- you turn the heater on. It, 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 it was fifty-five degrees down there. I it don't sticketh. care. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 yep,
1: yep. Hey, what? I was showing my wife the travel map
0: Oh the a couple the, of uh, road, days ago. Road trip map?
1: And she's she's just amazed at all of the dots the, that are on there yeah. all
0: over the country. And, but in a lot and, and sadly in a number of places where I'm never going. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. Rose <Frozen> and Tundra.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, so anyway, um, February, February, sorry, uh, February. I can tell you right now, um, that we are going to be having a debate in Houston, same location as when was the debate last year? That was in February. Wasn't it? I think it was. I think it was. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I would think it was. It's so it's going to be almost exact. Maybe we're starting a starting a, a tradition here. Um, the the, the, um, the flyer isn't done yet, so I don't want to get into too much detail, um, but we are going to have a debate on I believe the seventh? Or is it the eighth? I should have been more careful about this. Um yeah. Might be the eighth. Wednesday the eighth. Either that or it's Tuesday the seventh. <laughs> we'll have the specific details. Uh I could pull up the email and it would be right there, but I'm I'm not gonna waste your time with that. Anyway. The subject is what is marriage, and I will be debating uh, an individual who's uh, widely published, um, but is, I would describe as, fully deconstructed progressivist. So, um, issues of biblical authority and interpretation and all that type of stuff will be front and center. That's the kind of people we're dealing with a lot, so I'm hoping it will be useful and representational. Uh, it'll be very early on in the trip. Uh, I think I leave that Saturday uh, and head head that direction. And uh, then I'm going from there to Louisiana, where I will be speaking on Roman Catholicism, um, and then heading... North in Louisiana, making a stop up toward Shreveport. I think it's Shreveport. Anyway, uh, and then heading over to um, Jeffrey Rice's church, and we will have a debate there. I know that one is on Saturday the 18th. I believe the conference actually starts on the 16th. Uh, but on Saturday, the eighteenth, um I will have a debate um, and uh, what will be interesting about that is i yesterday I watched uh, a debate between the man i 'll be debating who's the King James only representative and Dan Barker, so who i 've debated. Twice formally, but we had actually engaged a number of times on. um, Was Barker part of the Atheist series we did? I think he was. I think he was because I my first encounter with him was on the Tom Leica show on KFYI. And I was uh, that one, too. Really? That's amazing. Um, These go back to the 1980s. Uh, that's how long Dan Barker and I, uh, have gone at each other. And, um, so it's fascinating to be on the the King James only guy's side, obviously. Uh, but to be about to debate him having debated Dan Barker a number of times, though, that's not something I would really be thinking about doing in the future for various reasons. So, anyways, uh, that will be on Saturday the 18th, in I believe it's Tullahoma. I think is the name the uh, location there in um, in Tennessee. And obviously, once you know, we'll, we'll be putting all this up on the on the website uh, if you're in the area and you'd like to uh, go to those uh, those debates. So, uh, two debates coming up in uh, February, and um, hoping for another debate in um May and then of course April 1st in Salt Lake City uh, Jeff Durbin and I will be debating two agnostics on whether uh morality is possible without God so that's a fair number of debates just for this for the spring uh this year that's uh, it's four and uh, that'll get us going again we sort of stalled out there for a while on the formal uh debate scene uh during during covid and, um, who knows what's gonna happen you know i I could it's still only feb- it's it's still only december, and remember, um, uh, I started hearing about the covid stuff in what was that January yeah of twenty twenty and then all of a sudden it blows up and goes everywhere and so so there you go um so exciting stuff it's gonna be obviously. Big prayer request is when you're when you're traveling, you're you're meeting people and stuff like that, and my 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 immune system's a good one, but nothing's perfect. So um, pray for for continued health on uh, a very lengthy uh, trip because uh, I don't I think I'd be it's going to be one two three and a half weeks or so. Uh, on the roads, So, uh, pray for, uh, pray for that. That will be that'll be exciting. I'm excited about it and looking forward to meeting all of you down there. And, um, so, so Houston, here we come again. <laughs> and, um, I'll be really interested to see how the new truck handles those Houston freeways. Cause I don't know if you remember it was, it was, yeah, it was called porpoising. It was, that was what, that was first time I really started using the bags on the other, on the other you know, really pumping them up, but now you've got a much bigger vehicle. So we'll, we will find out, um, how that's, how that's going to work. Wait, did, did he said you, we should. Oh, who said, uh, someone just got called you or something. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I will. We can talk about it later. It's really not the issue right now. But I will. I will admit that it is awfully nice to be able to raise the 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 the, the truck up. Uh, that that saved me. Yeah, that that saved me uh, a number of times. Yeah, but yeah, we don't need to raise it up much. <laughs> We've got that's that's not our problem. So, anyways. Oh, topics. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six. Wow. Okay. Well, that that'll probably get us through the rest of the rest of the hour. Um. Well, oh, that's seven. Uh. If we start with Bruce, right? Bruce, still there? All right. I think Bruce is the first one up. So uh, I guess I need to find this thing here. So, you know. This is like 1952 technology, and, and we're still, we're st- it's you know, it still works, but you would think we'd have something better now. All right, let's talk to Bruce. Hello, Bruce. Hi, Dr. White. How, How are, are you? you?
2: First, first time, long time, all those things. It's a privilege to speak to you. Yes, sir. What's up? Um, so I've had the, I had the opportunity to speak with the Mr. J. Dyer. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we debated for about half an hour. Um, I sent that over to Rich, actually. I, I, I'm yes. sure you're a busy man, but if you want to listen, you can. Um, but I just wanted to bring this up. So the thing that I really wanted to hammer him on, although he got into all sorts of things, as you can imagine, canon of scripture, Nestorianism, heresy, etc. But the thing that that was difficult for me to try and portray, and I thought maybe you could help me with this, was in other words, they're presupposing an epistemology that is not based in the word. It's based in some corporal authority of the church. And so they they raise the question constantly as to where their epistemological standard even arises. And so to me, they're operating under uh, an authority of scripture, um, but they're not um, acknowledging that truth. So even if they were to say the bishops consenting, you know, under consensus, dogmatize or, or create doctrine over the years, there's still a standard by which they have to be held to. And they won't they won't admit that that standard is the standard of scripture, whether oral or written. So I just wanted to know, like, how you would navigate that. You know, it's it's really It's basically presuppositionalism, of course, but just just wanted to get your take on that specifically.
0: Well, uh, and again, for for folks that aren't familiar with um, Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, my 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 perspective on on especially the apologists, the apologist Eastern Orthodox apologists in the West and Jay Dyer is is a clear mixture of things because he's been different things at different times and has moved long ways. And I'm not sure that he really um, recognizes how he's been influenced by each of the various stopping points he's had in his uh, rather wide journey. But um, Western apologists for Eastern Orthodoxy are very different than the actual Eastern Orthodox people that I've interacted with. And one of the things I've tried to explain to people, and one of the reasons I've, I don't think it would even really be helpful to even try to write a book on the subject is Eastern Orthodoxy involves a completely different way of thinking than most of us in the West are really even capable of, of doing. And as a result, it's um, in the West, we end up arguing the same topics that we do with Roman Catholicism, but that's not really, that doesn't really necessarily get to um, what is uh, Top within countries that are orthodox, so where you you have cultural orthodoxy and you have um, uh, you know just widespread uh, expression of of orthodoxy, which in most instances creates a nominalism, a a, a cultural form rather than a a, a really lively uh, spiritual form, but still. Um, so Russian Orthodoxy, Greek Orthodoxy, Ukrainian Orthodoxy now, and all the stuff that's going on with that, uh, those are, you know, uh, different things. And one of my criticisms all along, one of my observations has been that it seems to me that Orthodoxy is encased in a wall of, and four walls of tradition frozen in time. And, uh, so the, the obvious reality is, is that even, let's say, let's even push it all the way back to 7th century, that, that, that 7th century um, tradition in the East is the bedrock, the foundation. There was a lot of development before that. And there was a lot of diversity before that. And so there has to, there has to have been over time um, picking and choosing what was going to be uh, allowed to define the liturgy and the understanding of what the liturgy meant, and and everything that comes from that, and so there has been a process of of development, and clearly uh, historically there was a movement away from the uh, and an acceptance of the true nature of scripture as the norma normata that had already begun by that that period in time. Now it obviously goes much, much, much farther than that in Rome and and all the things that happened there. And, and Orthodoxy at least has not had the kind of, in most areas, has not had the kind of um, development that uh, Rome has um as far as how far it, it goes but still there was um in those in those centuries post nicene orthodoxy and and up into like i said let's go ahead and say 7th century um there is still traditional development at that point and so when you say they're under the authority of scripture well everybody uh claims a place for the authority of Scripture. Rome does, Orthodoxy does, all the subgroups and sub-subgroups and flavors over here and flavors over there have to deal with the realities of, of, of Scripture. But the the fundamental question comes down to, and this is a question now taking place amongst Protestants as well, uh, and that is, what is the relationship between the nature of Scripture as divine revelation? And the nature of tradition, as defined by an ecclesiastical body, at some point in history. Now, of course, we know that um, what's being defined by the Bishop of Constantinople today is is that that interpretation is very different than what would have been seen, say, in the ninth century, the tenth century. So there are lenses even in the in the uh, analysis of tradition. But when you say well, they're under the authority of, of, of Scripture. Um, certainly, it ha- it, 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 because of the place it had in the liturgy of the Church at the time, it, it can't exist apart from Scripture. But, but the real question for the Orthodox person, in their own understanding, is how necessary and thick is the lens of the liturgy and the tradition derived from the liturgy and the theology for example of the energies and 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 things like how how central is that to being able to understand scripture and and from what i have seen what orthodoxy lacks that it horribly needs is the ability for reformation
2: yeah that's what i brought up to jay as well right that um, there's no position that they could even reform past they, the 8th century.
0: Right. They can't. Um, right. Not without sacrificing what they believe to be uh, their very uh, identity, in essence. Now, yeah. I, I'll have to admit, some of the current um, disputes, the old calendar, new calendar, the um, what's going on in regards to Ukraine, Russia, Moscow, Kiev, et- all that kind of stuff, I have to wonder if that that couldn't be in some way used to break some of that um, stiffness. I would love to see somebody, you know, stand up sort of like uh, what was, what was the guy's name after the Reformation names uh, escaping me at the moment, but you had, you had a, a metropolitan, a patriarch that, you know, read Luther and went, Hey, <laughs> says, hmm, there's some good stuff there. And, you know, that caused a huge scandal, but that's the only that's the only hope really is is for there's some kind of light to break through the shadows of the traditions um, to allow for some kind of of reformation to take place. Yeah. Um, so the,
2: I mean, are you are you referring to Jean Huss or after that?
0: No, it was after that. Um, it, oh, was, after, it was it okay. was it was actually after Luther. There yeah. was a um, there was a letter written. Yeah. that's right it starts with an L, Lucaris or something like that. Mm-hmm. He he, yeah. uh, um, actually wrote a or like a catechism that was clearly influenced by Reformational thinking, and the and the, the scandal of it was it, it wasn't coming from again the the liturgical tradition that everything has to come from. Um, so anyway, uh, all of that to get back to um, you know uh, uh, that is the apologetic issue with with Eastern Orthodoxy is, can you get someone to to recognize uh, the nature of scripture as theonustos and then distinguish that from the tradition, the liturgy?
2: Um, That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have an ecumenical meetup pretty regularly when I say ecumenical, you know, I have a cigar lounge and these guys come around and there's four or five Orthodox guys in a small town where I live, you know, reform guys, Catholic guys, and it's that's the constant issue. It is it is the issue of the it, day. It has to every be every time. It, yeah.
0: it, it, you can't you can't the attempt, the attempt to get beyond this. Sort of like to be honest with you, it, take a look at the the Lutheran Catholic Accord in '99. Trying to pretend that we now have agreement by just simply skipping the word "alone." <laughs> yeah. What does that what does that actually do? It, it, it does it, it does not actually accomplish any kind of advancement as far as a meaningful discussion is concerned. Um, and so by now we know what the issues are and we, we, we we can't go any place else as much as we'd like to, as much as we want to uh, the, the, the parameters have already been defined and we, every, every generation has to lay that stuff out and recognize how important it is. And most people don't even discuss these things. Most, mm-hmm. you know, um, we've got our, uh, the other Paul, uh, down in, uh, in, um, Australia, uh, does the same kind of thing you're talking about doing. Uh, and he's yeah. constantly meeting with Orthodox guys and, and stuff like that. And every time I just sort of look at it, I just go, yeah, that's the same stuff I was arguing, um, before the internet on, on what was called FIDONET. Mm-hmm. Okay, and in the Bible echo of FidoNet in the late 1980s. Okay, nothing and it's like under
2: the sun, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. like
0: here we, yeah. yeah. It's we're we're doing it again, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying that to say it's irrelevant. It's not, but I'm just simply saying there are definitional things you can't you can't you can't ignore them. You can't uh, pretend they're not there.
2: Yeah, and Jay, and Jay even claims to be a presuppositionalist, and so we have this debate regularly amongst the other acolytes of Jay Dyer and, you know, their presupposition, they just claim, well, we have a different presupposition, right? And so it's, it's always to the authority of scripture is the issue. And they've basically borrowed this strange version of Ventiline apologetic and presupposed the church as opposed to the authority of scripture. Well, it's fascinating
0: because, because again, um, years and years and years ago, one of the things that struck me was when Scott Hahn converted he started using Presbyterian Reformed language to try to express specifically Tridentine soteriological concepts that, that led to him being viewed as this you know guy with these great insights when in reality he was just using language that he'd brought over from where he started and sort of tried to redefine these things. And again, nothing new under the sun. Uh, yeah. It It's same old, same old. So um, it still needs to be, you know, uh, discussed and, and dealt with while we have the freedom to do so, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it all ends up coming back to exactly what I I'd, I'd identified. And, and whether we're talking with Rome or, or Orthodoxy, it, it comes down to, to that though I have spoken with Orthodox people, um, that would, would say th- that from their perspective, there is a, a clear distinction between the authority of that, which is Theonustos and that, which is not. Um, and that, uh, that was to say Anustas is not dependent upon lesser authorities for its continuation or its proclamation. So they see those as aids, but not as necessary. So, but the, then again, those conversations were 40 years ago. I don't even know if those folks are still alive. <laughs> so, you yeah. Know,
2: yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Dr. White. I don't want to jeopardize all the time here, but, um, if you ever get a chance to speak to Jay, it would be an interesting conversation. I'd love to see it.
0: Yeah, it would be interesting. It would, it would have to be, um, it would have to be on something that would not. I've I've looked at I've looked at his uh, YouTube channel, and I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'm just like, "Uh, what? Uh, I mean, he he addresses pretty much everything. I think he's yeah. pretty much recording every day, and it's a wide variety of stuff. And my only concern is, I want stuff that's done to to, to have an audience wider than just simply one person who. You know, like give, give you an example, Jerry Matetzik is no longer relevant to Roman Catholic apologetics. He's mm-hmm. just he's just not. Um, but thankfully, the debate, the topics that we debated years and years and years ago, still are. Uh, if you if you get into stuff with certain people that just have a sort of a, a unique niche, niche group, and then they go off, you know, five years later how, how relevant is what you did? That's, that's the question. So we'll see what, what will happen with that, but I appreciate it, Bruce. Uh, keep, Thanks um, Dr. White. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, let's talk to, uh, Quentin and we we'll, we're gonna have to, I'm gonna have to talk faster <laughs> or say less, I guess, uh, than I, than I was before. Um, uh, because that was, that took too much time, but it was an interesting subject. Quentin. Good afternoon, Dr. White. How are you? Yes, sir. How are you?
3: Yeah, doing well. Doing well. Yes. Yeah, so I just wanted to ask a quick question regarding um, examining the claims of Roman Catholicism, historically speaking. So, uh, what are some sources you would recommend for going in depth on the history of the papacy or Mariology and things like that? Or would you just recommend maybe in depth church history more generically?
0: Um, no, there 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 are lots of of useful. Uh, works out there. Um the the classic Protestant works are by Good, G-O-O-D-E, um, by Whitaker. And I, I think Whitaker is being published uh by uh Soledale Gloria, I think. Uh it's out there. And George Salmon, which uh, uh actually interestingly enough, um Jeff Durbin mentioned to me just a few minutes ago that George Salmon is available on Kindle now which uh which is cool but uh Salmon's book in the infallibility the infallibility of the church you can sometimes grab a used copy someplace but I don't think it's been in print since the 50s but it uh I was told like I said a few minutes ago that it is available on Kindle so uh, that's going to uh, uh if you want a, a Lutheran source Martin Chemnitz C H E M N I T Z but then there's there's just excellent material out there um, the Oxford Encyclopedia of the Popes mm. is really, really interesting uh, because it is not attempting to uh, defend the idea of a papacy or something like that. So it's honest in, for example, mentioning what really is the reality that there was no monarchical episcopate, there was no one bishop in Rome. Until around one forty a d mm-hmm. and um and then you know talking about um probably not in qu- in quite the same graphic detail as Philip Schaff does in his eight volume history of the Christian Church, but talking about the pornocracy, the utter degradation of the papacy in the eighth and ninth centuries um well ninth tenth centuries, sorry um and the selling, the buying and selling of, of the papacy and really the low point, uh, in it, but also dealing with when it then reached the heights of its power, the degradation that brought, um, the, the money and the women and the military and all the rest of that stuff, um, stuff that even Luther, uh, observed with his own eyes when he visited Rome in 1510. So, um, Oxford Encyclopedia of the, of the Popes, things like that can be really uh, uh, helpful as well. And um, yeah, so that's, that's a place to start, uh, depending on what you're focusing on, uh, because there's, there's specific areas. You know, papacy is obviously one, the development of sacramental theology over time, the development of the priesthood over time, the development of purgatory over time, there are entire books on that subject. Um, you get a lot of Roman Catholic authors who are, these days, are brutally honest about the uh, development of those things and that they were not actually mm-hmm. apostolic, but they came about over time later on. And mm-hmm. certainly uh, the Marian dogmas are the uh, the weak point. They really, really are. Um, it's just so abundantly clear that the early church did not uh view mary the way that modern roman catholicism does and that that was a long and clearly obvious evolutionary process um that was not based upon some type of apostolic tradition um mm-hmm. so yeah that'll get you that'll get you started i would i would think
3: okay i yeah, appreciate it the majority of my background was more hislops to babylon's kind of stuff so I'm yeah just wondering, no yeah, more of a balanced kind of approach to yeah yeah. So yeah, yeah yeah i appreciate it very much
0: okay thanks thanks for calling yeah, thank all right thank you thank you quentin um okay well this will be interesting um and i have no idea how to pronounce the name but uh, devonta devonta okay all right good evening brother can you hear me i can Okay, it's Devontae. Oh, De- oh, Devontae, okay. So that's, is right. there an, is, but it's spelled D-E-V-O-N-T-A?
3: Right, so that usually throws people off because they think it's supposed to be like you pronounce it a soft sound. Yeah. They think it's supposed to be an E. Yeah. It's, it's an A. It has like, you're, you're not incorrect. It has a, <laughs> It has like a, it has like some sort of symbol on top of it. Uh, we oh. grew up in different cultures. So I don't know if you're familiar, but there's an R&B group there was a guy in it named Devonte, and my mom named me after this man she never met. So that's, <laughs> that's where my name. Now you now
0: right? you've got me going. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I I think I do remember that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, you're, there you
3: go. You're not alone in pronouncing it that way.
0: So. <laughs> All right. What's
3: up? Yes, sir. So, uh, in my watching your videos, please don't ask me to say which one because I don't remember. You've done a lot. You remember that better than me. Uh, but there's a video where you were talking about how whenever people start studying Roman Catholicism, what you've often seen is somebody will say, oh, well, I see this church father that believe X, Rome teaches X, Rome must be true. Right. And uh, you've said, well, not necessarily. That's not really <laughs> the way that you're supposed to do history. Um, so I've heard you say before, more specifically referring to transubstantiation. And if I misrepresent what you said, please uh, correct me. But you you had essentially said like, um, it is true that in the fathers, you see them talking about the real presence of Christ, mm-hmm. but that is not the same as later medieval language with transubstantiation because they're not using, like you said, Aristotelian categories talking about accidents and, and substance. Is that correct? Or am right, I, right. I misrepresenting? Right. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Here here was my question. As i and you've brother read more church history than me, so if I have a misunderstanding, correct me. As I've read like some fathers like Ambrose of Milan and Cyril of Jerusalem, though they're not using the words accident and substance, I'ma be honest, bro. It sounds like they're describing transubstantiation though they're not using those, those words. So it's, I'm, I, I guess I'm just saying like, what is, they're not using those terms, but they seem to be describing that reality. So like, I don't know. Well, what do we do how with would
0: that? give me an example? Because the, um, you know, both of, both of those, uh, when you look at a guy, especially when you mention Ambrose, he's extremely influential. For Augustine, and it's Augustine who uh, makes it very clear that the church has been um, deprived of the physical presence of Christ, that the body of Christ is in heaven and will not be on earth again until His second coming. Um, and he 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 specifically uses this language and talks about. He who has believed uh, eats with the teeth um, and 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 drinks with the mouth, and he he puts those in the context not of transpenetration, but of faith and 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 so on and so forth. So if if Ambrose is utilizing some type of categories um, that would differentiate between what is physically seen and what is spiritually present. Now, now, there's a difference between, you know, maybe what you're thinking of is the fact that what you have in uh, earlier writers who do not have Aristotle's categories anywhere else is the discussion of uh, the reality of spiritual presence that goes against what you see with the physical eyes. So, I mean, that's just a part of that. That's a part of really any discussion of the the now and the not yet. Uh, we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ, but we don't we don't yet see that. I mean, that's just a, that's just sort of a, a discussion of the fact that what the eyes see uh, and what is true spiritually are. Two different things, and so maybe, maybe that's what you're making reference to. I don't know, but where would you, when when you have people like Augustine and and even Gregory after him, use utilizing language um, that is clearly not um, transubstantiation, and that type of language doesn't come in until the the 10th century. What what kind of language? are are you are you saying speaks to you as if it as if it was
3: right um and thank thank you for explaining that
0: um so so
3: like more specifically focusing on Ambrose in his book on the mysteries there's a section where um he's about to start talking about the lord's Supper and he says um talking to the catechumens, and perhaps you will say to me how do you assert that I see bread and wine? I mean, how do you assert that this is the body of Christ? What I see is bread and wine. And Ambrose says, and that is what remains for us to prove. But let me remind you, I'm not talking about what nature made, but what the blessing consecrated. Because even, he says, because the power of blessing is greater than that of nature, because even by blessing, nature itself is changed. And he starts giving examples from the Old Testament, like with, uh, and you're more biblically literate than me, so forgive me if I say the wrong prophet. <laughs> it's uh, Elijah or Elijah with the incident with the with the axe head where it falls into the water and uh, the prophet makes it float back. And Ambrose is like, but the nature of the, the axe head is to be heavier than that of of water. But the water, I mean, but the axe head floated to the top. And he starts talking about examples in the Old Testament where the nature of something was changed. So that that's to be more specific, and thank you for asking. Uh, that's what I meant by this. Sounds like like he's talking about the nature of things being changed. That that's more specifically what I was. What and I was he was specific.
0: To. You know, if you use an example like that, you're talking about a specific miracle that had a specific purpose. And again, the the idea of the of the real presence of Christ is very much a part of the early church that he's spiritually there. But the whole concept, because remember, transubstantiation is not just the idea that there is a spiritual reality under the physical, uh, what can be seen with the physical, or or sensed. For example, it still tastes like bread. It still tastes like wine. It doesn't, doesn't taste like blood. Um, it's not just that. When you understand what is being defined by transubstantiation, It becomes the foundation of the idea that this is a sacrifice. It's a propitiatory sacrifice. And by the time of Ambrose, you do have a development, because you used the term there, of the concept of the priesthood and the power of the priesthood in the blessing of the elements. And that's going to become extremely important once... You get into the medieval period, and you get all of the uh, sacramental connections that's, that that come along with this. All the miracles, the bleeding uh, hosts, and and all the rest of this stuff. It becomes very much associated with the idea of the priest and his power to consecrate uh, the the host. So that has now it, it it's in the position of being developed, but it it has reached a, a certain level uh in in Ambrose uh that can be seen, for example, in his his view of his own authority as a bishop and and things like that. So so that now has has taken place. And so you have in the instruction to the catechumens there that you just read from, um, he's explaining how Christ is present spiritually and he's associating it with a sacramental theology that that was again, if if you go back to the third century and uh, Cyprian, Stephen, the Novation controversy, the Donatist controversy, sacramentology is developing at that point in time. Now, what's fascinating is this couldn't be apostolic because if you've seen my debate with Mitch Paqua on on the papacy, um there really is, and I mean, he doesn't say that straight out, but he says there is a development where presbyters become priests, so on and so forth. But there were no priests uh, for a long period of time, so you can't have the kind of um, sacramental transformation that is necessary in the doctrine of transubstantiation to make this an unbloody sacrifice, a perpetuatory sacrifice, etc., etc. And what's interesting is, when you look at the Didache, when you look at um, references in uh, Tertullian and things like that, it's the prayers of not an ordained priesthood, but it's the prayers of the Church that the presence of Christ is associated with in the gathered body. It's not some kind of a—well, um, it, it, it does not have the sacerdotal, sacramental um Necessity of the priest that you have in later in later theology, um, and so with all these things, it is it's something that develops from a number of different threads coming together, and so yeah, you can see in Ambrose, but then you have in in Augustine who learns from Ambrose um, the the statements we don't have Christ's bodies. So what does that mean? the the real presence is it remains spiritual it is not a a changing um of the substance uh it is it is the experience of the spiritual reality that will then be changed over time into the concept of transubstantiation but again until you can have that idea uh, and the categories that that Ambrose simply doesn't have in any other aspect of his theology, um, you just can't you can't make the connection that that that's what he's that's what he's talking about. Um, and I I think most modern Roman Catholic writers, not the apologists, but their scholars, would admit that it's a it's a developmental thing over time, and that the most important. Uh, element of that was when you get Aristotelian categories at, at a later point in time. That certainly becomes vitally important uh, for Thomas Aquinas in all of his theology uh, as well. So that's what's, that's what's missing, and that's why I say you have to stick with the, with the real presence as a spiritual reality, not as a, uh, a changing of substance and, and while accidents remain the same type of a situation.
3: Okay. Thank you. That's very helpful. I'll be sure to keep this in mind as I get to a Roman Catholic controversy book. Somebody gifted me with a Barnes and Noble gift card, and I said, <laughs> Say less. I've been waiting to
0: get this. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for calling. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Okay. God bless. All right. Let's uh, get to uh, Stefan. Hi, Stefan. We lost Stefan. Stefan's not here. Okay. How about uh, Ryan? Ryan is here. Hello, Ryan. Hello,
4: Dr. White. Yes, Hello. sir. Okay, so um, regarding my topic, it was supposed to be about debates and uh, like the dates of these uh, events, but you kind of went over that. Would it yes. be taboo to change my topic? I'll try <laughs> to keep it in line with what you've been going over. Well,
0: ma- throw it out there. We'll see. We'll, we'll see.
4: All right. So my topic is um, I'm like fairly new to like a reformed position as far as uh, theology because I came out of the word of faith church not too long ago okay after growing up there my whole life and god just opened my eyes through many different things and he he, i came across your videos through alpha and omega and also um apologia and i was wondering how did you get to the level you were as far as like the scholarship you know with the words you use the amount of things that you know and you're familiar with like what do you think it takes for like a new christian to like start to even begin that journey (laughs)
0: Well, um I had the blessing of of growing up in a in a Christian family and so I've okay. um I've been exposed to scripture and a and a high view of scripture my entire life. I I we were not reformed and so there were there was uh, limitations um that certainly I have come to understand in in later life, but um to be honest with you uh <coughs> basically I was just a really good student. Okay. I, I always was okay. in, in, in school. Um, I was the kid that didn't get in trouble. I was the kid that didn't get demerits. Um, I was <laughs> class valedictorian to my junior high school class valedictorian to my high oh, wow. school, uh, you know, full ride scholarship to college and graduated magna cum laude and blah, 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 blah. So, um, I've always had a good memory, which is what's really bugging me about getting older now, because I don't anymore. Um, well, it's interesting. My memory is not good about um, stuff that doesn't matter, but when it comes to uh, debates or things like that, that stuff sticks. So uh, it's just sort of the way, you know. Not I have often said there are many scholars who should never debate. Because one of the yeah. things you have to be able to do to debate is to be able to multitask and to be able to respond quickly to inquiries. Um, okay. So I, I, I've alf- often told the story of this tremendous scholar that I had dinner with one night in, in Berlin, of all places. And um, this guy knew everything there was to know about Desiderius Erasmus. I mean, he just is one of the leading scholars in the world. But <laughs> when you would ask him a question— he would literally sit there and stare at you silently for about 30 seconds. Now, 30 seconds is a long time. That's called yeah. dead air, okay? Um, he would sit there formulating his response for about 30 seconds before he starts speaking. That was brilliant when it came out, but that doesn't work in, um, in a debate, you know? Sometimes, yeah. sometimes in a debate... I only have 60 seconds to come up with a response. So if I spend 30 yeah. of it, just staring at you, that's, that's not going to really help me out a whole lot. So, um, it, it's not that I'm particularly smart or brilliant or anything. It's just that, um, when it comes to, to doing debates and things like that, I'm able to respond quickly. I'm able to bring things to mind quickly. Obviously, what was really, really important in in my experience was learning the biblical languages um, and having okay. having facility with them. There's a level of confidence that comes with that as well. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, and I don't try to, uh, th- there are some people who, you know, just mix a tremendous amount of Greek and Latin and Hebrew and everything and everything they say. I don't, I don't do that. Uh, normally, if mm-hmm. I'm going to if I'm going to raise some phraseology or terminology, I'm going to explain why, and I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm actually trying to demythologize scholarship. I'm trying to help people to understand that there isn't some huge chasm between you and Christian scholars, other than vocabulary. If you knew <laughs> if you knew the words, um, you'd be able to have the conversations, and you you learn the words by reading. And I'm very much a um, auditory person, which is why I do most of my reading anymore by listening um, while I'm like driving. For example, now that I, I travel by driving, um, you know, I spend hours and hours listening to that stuff. And and I just as I said that I started thinking about uh, this last trip I was on. I was listening to the oral arguments at the Supreme Court over the. uh creative uh was it 303 uh creative um uh, case they just heard just a few weeks ago and i remembered something that sotomayor was saying as i was turning off of the freeway to go to a love's travel stop to get gas so in other words i'm indexing what i'm listening to by what i'm experiencing at that point in time a lot of people can't do that they they, they have to be sitting in a quiet room uh, concentrating with a uh, you know a yellow marker in a paper book to be able to do that kind of thing, so it's mm-hmm. just you know the Lord makes us all different. And um, uh, I, honestly, I think one of the reasons I I end up looking smart in a debate is I can handle time. I was mm-hmm. watching. I, I mentioned a debate with to another caller just a few moments ago. Neither one. <laughs> And Dan Barker was one of them. You would think this guy, he claims to be so so smart, would have figured this out by now. Neither one of them had a had a timer. So they're constantly having to ask how, how much time I got, and that, that interrupts people, and it, it it interrupts your your. You don't look like you know what you're doing. So I only look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't necessarily do, but I look like it because I know how to I know how to handle time and get things done. But we need to get them done and stuff like that. So don't. Don't, don't look too highly at, at, you know, at scholars. I mean, there are some guys that are just just absolutely super, super brilliant. But these days, most of the most brilliant scholars, sadly, are only scholars in a narrow area. Um, you, you, what you really want to try to shoot for is having, having a broad basis of knowledge of the history of the Bible, the history of the world, you know, all sorts of things like that and uh, no one no one today can even can come close to uh ancient people there you know we used to talk about a renaissance man who was somebody who had significant knowledge in every area of human knowledge well we know we know too much today you can't do that no one's no one's that brilliant and um so so don't don't be in any way um uh intimidated by by people who have a larger vocabulary just Keep growing your vocabulary, and you all of a sudden discover that you can keep up with everybody.
4: Yeah, yes, sir. That's good. Uh, okay, Jim. Uh, thank you so much, Doctor White. Okay. and and right before I leave, quick tip: uh, your best tip for a new dad, <laughs> just really quick. A new what? <laughs> a, a new dad, like a new father, what would be your best. Oh.
0: father? <laughs> 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 um. Wow. Uh, well, I haven't been an, a new dad in uh, 30, um, uh, 33, almost 34 years now. Um, so I could give tips for grandfathers easier than dads now. But, um, you know, it's funny. I asked my dad when my wife was pregnant with her first child. I, I said, um, how did you instill in me such a desire to to not disappoint you? Because, you know, I I didn't get into the trouble that a lot of teenagers get into because I could just see what it would do to my parents. And the look that I would receive um, would just crush me. And so I asked, how did, you, how did you instill that in me? And he looked at me and said, son, I don't have, a, I don't have any idea. <laughs> he said, but we just simply, from the beginning, have always, you know, directed you to scripture and to honoring God with with whatever gifts God gives to you, and and um, um, so I wanted to have, you know, the the the, the surefire bullet uh, from my dad, but he he didn't give it to me. There there isn't simple simple things, but I, I, I'll I'll give you a real simple thing. The best way to teach your son. Um, to be a good man and to be a good husband someday is to love your wife in front of your children. Mm. How's that?
4: That's good. All right. <laughs> That's good. Thank no, you, I, I, I'm going to interject
0: here because <laughs> okay.
1: James's father had uh, a, a major impact on me in my 20s, and there was a he had a number of sayings, but one of the sayings that he had uh, just stuck with me. There's never an excuse for bad behavior. And he just had this, not stern, but incredibly solemn look on his face when he would say that. And you really did not want to be the one he was looking at when he said that to you. That's true. You really that's didn't. True. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. There you go. See, some someone else who learned from my dad. So hopefully that's helpful for you, brother.
4: Thank you so much, Dr. White.
0: Have a good one all right let's uh let's unless uh you have to run rich i'm I'm ready to i, I can still roll here. let's talk to uh josh hi, Josh hello josh
5: hey. Hey, hey, yes sorry sir about that no problem thanks for taking my call dr white honor to talk to you. The only mm-hmm. thing I would add to that last caller is uh when my kids were little, I would lay next to them at night and listen to james white debates <laughs> the only downfall. Yeah, the only downfall to that is they argue really well with
0: me now. So.
5: <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's a double-edged sword right
0: there. That is a double-edged, believe me, uh because that's my daughter. Yeah, uh, when you yeah. when you see the when you see the videos and Summer is sitting on the front row, then you realize uh, later on, yeah, well, you got only got yourself to blame. Uh my my that's wife right. gave up arguing with my with my daughter uh when she was about 10, so anyway.
5: (laughs) Anyways. Um, Hey, I wanted to talk to you real quick about Ukraine. My wife and I um, have a ministry that we help run. Uh, We work really closely with a pastor out in Ukraine. Um, We're, you know, we're, we're, we're engaged on a daily basis with, with the people and we, we just love them. And we're seeing amazing things happening um, through God and, and through really what's happening there. And uh, It threw me a little bit, and it has lately. Some of the rhetoric we're hearing when it comes to support of Ukraine and the financial support our government's offering, in particular. And you had tweeted yeah. it was yesterday about that.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I guess, it's, it's, I guess it's, it's scary. It is it, scary. It, it's scary because I, I wonder. You go ahead. Well, look, I I know where you're going with it because uh, yeah. you know when this thing first started. You know, uh, I see the pictures of um, the building in Irpin where I taught going up in flames because it's been it's been bombed, it's been shelled uh, yeah. by the Russians, and you know it's just natural for me to be you know very much yay, but then I've just had to I've had to come to the realization I was there in 2014 when the quote unquote revolution took place. I landed. I literally landed in, in Kyiv uh, about four hours before the Americans said, don't go to Ukraine. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember
5: you uh, going yeah, through that. Yeah. yeah,
0: and so I didn't know anything about the geopolitical stuff going on there. But the, the reality is, um, from what as I see things right now, I'm torn between two things. One is I, I want to see... Um, Nick um, and and all the people associated with the church uh, they're safe and able to minister and able to to do all the things that they're doing and I, I don't want to hear that any of them have been killed and and so I, I I don't want the Russians taking over and all the rest of that kind of stuff at the same time uh, um, Zelensky gives me the heebie-jeebies and there's something wrong here we don't know where all this money's going and we're escalating this thing and now we're talking patriot missiles and you've got a a guy in russia with 6000 nuclear warheads uh and it just seems to me it's, for example nato really uh that i i mean i just I, I sit back and i go wait a minute we went this close to nuclear war with Russia over Cuba. And that's the exact same thing. Uh, Putting, making Ukraine part of NATO is the same thing as making Cuba part of the Russian sphere of influence. And we would not allow it. And now we're trying to do it over there. It just seems to me, I'm very, very, very concerned. I do not trust my government. I do not trust my government at all any longer. I'm sorry. I used to. I don't anymore. And so it does seem to me that Ukraine has become um, a mechanism for I'm not sure exactly what the end end goal here is, but I think that that the American the American government is using Ukrainian lives to accomplish something else that that is it's horrible. And so I, I look at my own country and I go. Uh, would would we do something like that? Yep, answer is yes, we would definitely do something like that. And so, how do you put that together with the fact that there are beautiful Ukrainian yeah. um Christians? Well, in 2019, the last big uh, it, the last big trip I took over there, I taught in Samara, Russia. And there are wonderful Christians in Samara, Russia. And so there are wonderful christian people and i'll never forget i was there in European, and it just struck me the first time that i attended uh chapel service uh at the school there to hear these beautiful slavic voices singing in russian um songs that i know in english but it, it, you know i was raised i was i was a child of the cold war uh i was raised Think you know our our nuclear weapons were aimed at them and theirs were aimed at us and those were the two you know you no know, they were the big baddies and and now I'm there listening to Christians uh, singing and and realizing my goodness um, this never really crossed my mind uh, as to how I was raised and how I how I grew up so how do I put all this together um, uh, you know the the Ukrainian <laughs> Have you, you've been to Ukraine then, right?
5: Uh, my wife was there just a couple of weeks ago, actually.
0: Okay. All right. But yeah. maybe it just, but you haven't. I haven't yet. Nope. Okay. All right. If you ever go, um, and of course, things could be different now. Uh, I, yeah. I, I was only there in peacetime, um, but <laughs> I was in a, I was in a taxi cab coming from the airport out to Irpin. And I'm telling you. I was literally, I mean, it was, I don't know if you can see me right now, but I'm just holding on because the road is so rough. It is horrific. And the the taxi driver, he looks in the rearview mirror and he sees me just barely holding on back there. And in the worst broken English you'll ever hear is probably the only thing he can say in English. He goes, Ukrainian massage. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah. she had a very
0: similar account my wife well and and i asked i asked my friends i'm like can't you all fix the roads and they all just looked at each other and said well the money has been allocated but you need to understand yeah. um you, you the ukrainian government is incredibly corrupt as is Russian government, I mean, it's just it's just the way things are, it's how they live, and it, and and it's just expected, and so there is tremendous um, uh, corruption in the Ukrainian uh, government, and I'm just very 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 concerned uh, that all we're doing is laundering money and killing Ukrainians in the process and extending this whole thing out. If we had leaders in the United States that would be leaders, and we don't right now, um, we wouldn't be talking about Ukraine and NATO. Uh, we would take that completely off the table, and we would try to find a way to have peace. Um, but that's not going to happen uh, because there's something going on here. I'm. It, it looks really obvious. We are the ones that ones that took out the the pipeline. Um, and why I. I cannot fathom all of it all I know um is throwing billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars in there and escalating and escalating and escalating um could get uh, a billion people killed and once the nuclear bombs start going off um wow um that that's a that's a tragedy of of monumental proportions so it's I would say in answer to your question, how do you support Ukrainian believers? Um, you, you give them everything if we can't, it's difficult to do, but you give them everything they need to be able to continue doing the things that they're doing. But the idea of, of extending this war forever, um, I, uh, the Ukrainian people are eventually going to have to stand up and, and say something about that too, as, as the Russian people are, I mean, the number of lives that have been lost already is making Vietnam look like a, like a scratch. It's terrible. It's horrific. It's horrific. It really, really is. Um, but unfortunately it doesn't seem to me that the leadership in either country is willing to, or ours, um, or in NATO, especially is willing to do what needs to be done to actually bring an end to all of this stuff. So, so I am torn but I, I I'm not torn about the fact that it um what we saw yesterday what we saw yesterday was choreographed with with um uh, costumes and everything else let's just, let's just be honest there is there's no reason for zelensky to be dressing the way he's dressing or anything else like that this is all meant to communicate something um and I I don't think that it's overly helpful for our, our brothers and sisters over there. I really don't. So.
5: Well, I appreciate, appreciate you expanding on, on your thoughts there and making a little more nuanced argument of it. Right. Because I think that's, that's always, you know, our heart is I, I get the geopolitical conflict, but to your point, oh man, the, the people, right. The people that we, we know and love and
3: yeah. support and
5: Yeah. We don't want them to get lost in it. And to your point on on either side. Right. Right. either Side of the government there. Right. I mean, those
0: are those Russian soldiers dying uh, in the neighboring country is still a horrific death. And there are a lot of grieving people in in Russia that are very, very afraid as well. So, you know, uh, what do you do? It's uh, it's it's horrible. All right. Thanks. Thanks, brother. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. God bless. Um, uh, let's, let's press on real quick. Um, uh, anybody left?
6: Um, uh, Jacob's here.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. Jacob. Yeah. Uh,
6: Hey, uh, I'm calling from Portland, Oregon out here. Um, good oh, I'm sorry nice to talk
0: to you. I know.
6: Well, I'm actually moving to Salt Lake city in March with my wife. So we're getting
0: out. Well, I, I hate to tell you, but, um, Salt Lake the, the Mormons have gone nutty
6: oh we yeah we know we know we're <laughs> we're okay with it we're excited for the church uh environment there and the weather will be a little less rainy i'll put it that way
0: well yeah okay almost any place is yeah so so where where in salt lake are you going
6: uh, we're going actually right to the South Jordan area.
0: We're actually oh, okay. going
6: to be going to uh, Wade's church. Um, oh, Wade, I was I like was going to
0: say. I was going to say. Well, yeah. I I could recommend a church. <laughs> yeah, it's a great
6: church. We got to visit one week and meet with Wade. I've talked to him on the phone. He's a
0: great guy. Wade a great, 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 uh, Wade, Wade Orsini has the biggest heart in ministry. He's you're, the
6: kindest person I've ever met. I love the kindest no, people.
0: There's no there's no question about it. He and Andrew are great great guys and. So that's great. I'm glad to see that you're heading that way.
6: Yeah, yeah. it'll be fun. Um, so my question is about God's law. Um, I'm uh, just uh, dabbling in the depths of uh, just understanding theonomy and um, what that means and just how God's law relates. I argue with my Presbyterian friends about it a lot. But one, one argument I came up with with my brother recently, my brother, he's theologically really conservative, you know, Abortion's wrong, all of these other things, but he kind of aligns with William Lane Craig on a couple of things. He wouldn't consider himself reformed, but he goes to a Baptist church. He um him and I get into it a lot. He considers himself libertarian. And when we talk about the need to disciple the nations, he um, he just tries to press back a lot on like, well, what on what basis are we um, are we as Christians um, told to bring about the law of God in our country. And then he'll press me because he's libertarian. on like, Oh, well, what's a country. And then I'll be like, well, by that standard, should we be invading countries and forcing them to stop abortions and bombing <laughs> them? You know, like he, he tries to create these analogies that, you know, right. with his libertarian mindset to reduce my argument to absurdity. Right. And I, I don't really know how to combat that. I'm still reading. Um, I have Joe boots book, um, the mission of right. God. That I'm right. 10 yeah, and there's, in, and,
0: and there's, and there's a chapter in, uh, in the mission of God, um, it was interesting uh, because it it refers to um, libertarian theonomy, <laughs> and he's he's yeah he's he's talking about um, Rush Dooney's perspective. And, and look, any anyone, and and look, as soon as you say the term theonomy, you 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 make all sorts of people break out in hives, and and yeah, uh, yeah. I've told the story that that I never. I never gave the phrase a um, a fair analysis because when I was in um, seminary, uh, Westminster came out with its book against theonomy, and I mean Westminster's Westminster. So if Westminster says it's bad, it must be bad. Oh. And and I uh, I didn't, you know, it was just something that you kept at at arm's length. And then, of course, I've heard people describing it in so many absurd different ways that. Just just be prepared for all of that, uh, if, you, if you use the terminology. But those of us that I, that I know of that are actually um, serious about um, living it out, and all we're saying, in essence, is that God's law accurately reflects His character and His will for all of mankind— and therefore, when you recognize blessed is a nation whose God is Yahweh, and then you recognize uh, sin is a reproach to any nation, well, if you don't want to have a reproach upon your nation, you need to know how to live in light of how God has made this world to function. And how, how do we have that information? Well, there are some Christians that would say the, the Mosaic law doesn't tell us. And I'm, I'm just like, what, what do you mean it doesn't tell us uh, when when yeah. you know Jesus quotes from Leviticus and deuteronomy and and loving your neighbors yourself is smack dab in the middle of the holiness code. and so years ago, when I preached through the holiness code, um I, I really came to see how uh, brilliant a light was found in in these these texts and and some really difficult texts you had to really dig into yielded uh, wonderful uh, results as well. And so, um, but the point is, as, as Joe will point out in, uh, in The Mission of God, um, th- none of this, and, and in fact, the last um, sweater vest dialogue I had with, with Doug Wilson, we, we raised this issue in regards to all the Christian nationalism stuff, and, and that is outside of the work of the Spirit of God, in changing hearts and minds, um, you're, you're not going to have anyone who wants to be subject to God's law. The only way for uh, the the melding together of theonomy and postmillennialism, for example, uh, is if there is a massive work of the Spirit of God to where you, you have a large number of people who want—they they literally want to have God's blessing upon their nation. It, you can't force that upon anybody. You can— you preach it, you teach it, you prophetically uh, tell uh, the people in charge: this is how God has set up His world. You live in His world, and you can't escape His world. So here is here is how to live in His world and to have life in this world. Um, you you make all those, you do all of that, but there are times when God blesses that, and then there are times when God uses that to uh, basically as judgment upon a people that He's bringing to destruction. So the church has yeah. had both experiences in in history um but the idea of um forced subjugation um does simply doesn't work now if you've got if you've got 75% of the population is christian then the the law becomes the law and and that that's that's how that's how you do things that's how it was in the united states initially um there i mean the idea that this nation was founded with the idea um, that you should you should defend drag queen story hours um, demonstrates you know nothing about how the nation was founded or what was believed by the founders or everybody who lived in the nation at the time. There has been a revolution that has taken place, and it's been a revolution the other direction. And so, um, uh, if you have seventy five percent, if you have a Christian consensus as there was at the founding of this nation. Um, that's going to be reflected in in the laws. Um, if that consensus declines over time because of apostasy and all sorts of other things, then you see what's happening in in our context, and and you deal with it from there. But for for me, the the whole issue in regards to uh, theonomy really is uh, Jeremiah thirty one. Uh, I will write my law upon their hearts. What law? Well, it's the law of Christ. Okay, when Christ died upon the cross. He was fulfilling God's wrath based upon what again? What law? So all this attempting to make fine distinctions so you can just get rid of um, what, we, what we have in, uh, in God's law, uh, I just don't see how it works. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't function. So it's not a matter of bombing other nations to get them to stop, stop abortions, but it is, it is sending missionaries uh, to proclaim to them um, the lordship of Christ. And um when people turn to Christ, they want to know how to serve God and God's given us a revelation. And uh my Bible has sixty-six books in it, not just twenty seven.
6: Yeah, no, that's 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 true. Uh and I, I know that um am I'm I'm kind of mainly in the Bonson right now. Does Rush Dooney have some uh some people have said he has more extreme views? I have read very little, if any, by Rush Dooney, so like I
0: don't Finish know finish fi- read read boot. Um, uh boot will help to give you a lens for uh rush Duny. um because okay. rush Duny is huge there's a lot there um oh, yeah. and yes he does have some extreme views and cert- certain things but joe goes through a lot of that stuff in the mission of god so i think that would be helpful
6: okay well thank all you right? so much for answering my question i appreciate it
0: all right thanks uh and uh when when are you get into salt lake uh
6: we're leaving uh probably in the first second week of march uh, my wife and i'll be moving out there.
0: Well, um, we have a, we have a debate in Salt Lake city. Je- Jeff Durbin and I will be doing a debate, uh, on April 1st in Salt Lake. Uh, our ethics, oh, okay. our ethics, our ethics possible without God. So, um, the church, uh, I, de-
6: I, I, if I'm there, I'll be attending.
0: <laughs> righty. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for your call. All right. Last one. Let's talk to Kent. Hello, Kent.
7: Hi, this is Kent. Um, calling in from Indiana. So I know you've gone a little longer, so I'll try to keep this quick here. Um, My question mainly has to do with keeping theological balance when it comes to, especially just uh, your relationships with others. So I'll just read my question here. What is your advice for keeping theological balance and not giving in to those who feel the need to kick anyone out of the kingdom who who don't agree with all your theological or cultural specifics? So an example for this would be Um, say like a Calvinist comparing uh, who has a relationship with Arminians or maybe people who are more moderate politically, if you're more of a conservative, Uh, just for more of the context of the question. um, I'm a little bit newer to, um, I guess, reformed beliefs. And sometimes I think I have a tendency to want to have pretty strong views. And then there's just thoughts that sort of come in where it's like, well, if this person um, that I have a relationship with doesn't believe X, then clearly they're not a Christian when <laughs> yeah. I know that's yeah. not true because I know a lot of times they're family members. I know they love the Lord. Um, but sometimes I struggle with yeah. like, trying to not be more extreme.
0: Right. Well, uh, if if you're sort of new, you may have not heard the the uh, the phrase cage stage. Um, where uh, it,
7: I, I have heard that a little bit from some of your videos. Yes.
0: Yes. Cage cage stage is where it's, it's better to put a Calvinist in a cage so he won't hurt himself or others. Uh, and then once he gets to a, a point of maturity, we can, we can let him out and uh, he won't, he won't harm himself or, or anyone else. And I fully understand it. I get it. And it's a very good question and it is a matter of maturity over time. Um, and I fully understand the um the pressures because the the mindset is well look it, it's so clear to me uh it should be clear to you if you have the spirit of god the problem is especially for a reformed person that doesn't work because um for most of us we lived a major portion of our christian life before we came to understand the doctrines of grace and that that doesn't mean we became christians the day that we that we Figured this whole thing out, and if it was God's grace and His Spirit that led us to these understandings, then we have to go. You know, God chose that time in my life uh, to bring me to an understanding of these things, and that other person may not yet be at that point. And so, I can't, I can't pretend to be God and demand that right now they need to, uh, you know, change their views and, and agree with me. Uh, God may have a purpose why uh they continue with their their perspectives. Uh he did for me, and I know he has for for others as well. And so if it's up to God, then we're we're trying to force his hand uh at, at that point. We we can't do that. So the important thing is to know what the the main things are and to not constantly be harping on in your own mind, yeah, okay, you say that. But if you believe this, and that means this, 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 and this, and that eventually means you're going to yeah. be wrong on something over here. Um, be thankful for the fact that you have blessed inconsistencies in your own theology, and you still do, and you always will, and that there are blessed inconsistencies in other people's theologies as well. And uh, don't don't give in to the sort of fundamentalist mindset that if anyone disagrees with me that that makes my faith less secure that it, it shouldn't matter what other people le- believe um your faith should be based upon uh your relationship with Christ and and the scriptures and what happens to other people shouldn't change any of that uh so uh you know keeping keeping that in mind and always uh just, just praying that, that God's grace will be upon anyone who names the name of Christ, um, that doesn't mean you become wishy-washy and and become easily deceived by people or stuff like that. But it, I, I do think that our internet world um, forces us to respond so quickly mm-hmm. that we don't have time to think through in a mature and patient fashion, you know, in the olden days, when, when scholars would have, for example, a big, huge dispute, it could last for years because it would take that amount of time for the books to be written and, and, uh, parcels to be delivered and, and, and stuff like that. You had a lot of time and you could modify your, your responses as a result. Um, today, I think we, we just, we don't, we don't act with patience and we feel pressure to, to make a snap judgment. And uh, we've, we've just got to move. We've got to move away from that and show patience, you know, read, read Job, read Job in the Proverbs a lot. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot in the Proverbs about being slow to anger and, and slow to speak and not making rash decisions and things like that. And that'll, I think that helps a, a lot as well.
7: All right. Uh, thank you very much for your answer. Uh, and just thank you overall for your ministry. Um, I came out of a, I grew up in like a Mennonite Anabaptist a context, and uh, I think Reformed theology has, um, just brought a lot more of a richness to my
0: faith. So excellent, thank you excellent. That. Well, thanks, Kent. Thanks you for your call. Thanks for your patience as well. Yep. All right. God bless. All right. Well, we weren't gonna. Weren't going for that long, but that's okay. Because I've still got, unless you didn't look it up, I've still got an hour and a half till the program, I think. Well, you've been busy. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, we always get good calls. We always get good calls here. And uh wide variety of topics that we've, uh, we've addressed today. So hopefully that's useful to you. Um, we will not see you or talk to you again until after... Um, christmas day and so i hope that uh you and yours will truly be focused upon the things that matter that you'll have tremendous fellowship of the faith and the celebration of the incarnation and um uh, we appreciate your support we will see you next week lord willing um and hopefully I have a little bit more details for you on some of those debates coming up as well We'll see you next time. God bless.